Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spiritual Insights. Our guest today is Mr. Will Pye, who discovered his true purpose by way of a terrifying diagnosis. His reaction to being diagnosed with a brain tumor at the age of 31 will inspire anyone who is looking for the deeper meaning of life and death, as his journey has resulted in his first book, a beautiful narrative about his profound experience entitled, Blessed with a Brain Tumor, Realizing It's All Gift and Learning to Receive. Infused with inspiring quotations from many of the greatest minds and laced with humor, it is comprised of two parts. In part one, we'll explore seven of the most valuable gifts of life, and at the end of each chapter, he offers questions for altering reality, which are points to ponder and assess your present circumstances. In part two, he offers guidance in the form of the seven invitations, acceptance of which affords you the opportunity to create the life you desire. At the end of each of these chapters and elsewhere, there are suggested integration exercises which can take you to a deeper awareness. Also included is a thorough section on additional suggested reading. Will is a practitioner. Will is a practitioner of Zen Buddhism, a student of A Course in Miracles, a yogi, a science geek, and was recently initiated as a Sufi. He is also the founder of The Love and Truth Project, a not-for-profit facilitating the emergence of a global community committed to allowing spiritual awakening. As a social entrepreneur, transformational coach, inspirational speaker, and wisdom teacher, he divides his time between Melbourne, Australia, and Cambridge, England. His teaching itinerary includes continental Europe and North America, and he is currently in the United States to share his light and wisdom through a series of talks on a tour of several states. As a special gift to listeners, you can receive the first chapter of Blessed with a Brain Tumor absolutely free at blessedwithabraintumor.com or willpie.com, and pie is spelled P-Y-E. There you will also discover new videos, blogs, books, and exclusive super early bird deals for workshops and retreats. No matter your circumstances, the first chapter alone fire you to spread your wings and soar. Continue to listen to learn how to discover grace, God, and gratitude in your own life. Please keep in mind that if you enjoy this segment, it's only because I had such amazing material to work with. Welcome to the show, Will. It's great to be here with you, Charlotte. Thank you so much. Well, how is your tour going? It's going wonderfully well. It's been a joy and full of magic and those wonderful synchronicities and connections and reaching out to people across many states in the U.S. It's been a real delight. Oh, wow. And what happens at your sessions and your talks? What's the atmosphere like? 
Well, it varies from place to place, but it would be fair to say that the underlying frequency or the consistent element would be love and truth. So by that, I mean the, the open heart, the, the presence fully showing up and the truth of our awakened nature, the truth of our infinite and eternal being, being present. And of course, each talk is different. Each format, each context differs. Oh. But they would be the, uh, the consistencies, the commonalities between all the events that we experience and, and how I show up. No doubt. And I also love how how it works with energy when you combine the energy of the group with the teachings and it creates that additional energy. And, and it is always different because there's different energies present, but always so beautiful. And you'll be here through November 2014. We're, tell us where you'll be up, up in the next um, few weeks. Well, I'm currently in Venice, Venice, L.A., and enjoying the, the warm fall weather here and we're holding a radical gratitude play shop actually in venice on this weekend it's actually still spaces on this saturday radical gratitude play shop so i'm here just for the rest of the week in la and then moving further up to san jose i'll be in the bay area for another week or two and there's a few guest speaking appearances a couple of bookstore events in palo alto and elsewhere and uh, then heading back to australia at the start of november or the middle of november Fantastic. If someone uh, were able to attend one of your sessions or, or talks, where would they go to sign up? Well, the next two, there's actually a free offering at Thunderbolt Spiritual Bookstore in Santa Monica tonight. Uh, that's on uh, 512 Santa Monica Boulevard at 730. People can just show up for that. It's by Dana. It's by donation um, if people find value in the teachings. And then on Saturday, the Radical Gratitude Play Shop, which is in Venice itself, that can, probably the easiest way with it being so close, I would recommend people actually just email me direct. So that would be will at willpie.com, W-I-L-L at W-I-L-L-P-Y-E.com. And we can see if we can get you into the last remaining spaces on Saturday. That's running from 10 until 5, and it promises to be another magical experience. I've been offering several of those around the U.S. indeed did my first uh, retreat in the U.S. just recently down in Tennessee, and mm -hmm. it's been wonderfully well received. It's a, a delight and a joy to witness the transformation that takes place. Fantastic! I'm so honored um, to be in a position to support you in this. I've read the book thoroughly, and it's phenomenal. It really is. And I mean, you're a fantastic writer, but the way you pull in all of your experiences with all that you studied is uh, magical. It really is. Just for the people who don't know, could you explain what a Sufi is, as you've been recently initiated into that? So a Sufi is the, I guess it is to Islam what Gnosticism or Christian mysticism would be to Christianity. There's an emphasis within the Sufi path on a direct relationship with God, so not going via the priests or the imams, but actually having a direct relationship with God. And it was a fortuitous and amusing uh, series of events by which I came to be initiated. Um, having attended a whirling dervish workshop, there's been an affinity and a love for the poetry of Rumi and Hafiz and, and the, the Sufi path for many years. But the actual initiation came about through one of those magical moments where I found myself in a conversation with a sheikh, and after a while he had me saying these words. And I went to my Sufi friends and I said, I just had this magical connection with the sheikh. And my friend excitedly said, did, did he get you to say these words? And I said, yes. 
these Arabic words, he said, well, congratulations, you've been initiated as a Sufi. So it came as a delightful <laughs> surprise that uh, there was one more beautiful path to fully resonate with and, and be a part of. Fantastic. And you, and now you get to share all that you've learned and all, and all of your experiences with the world, and you also offer one-on-one sessions. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you point there to the sharing and just to drive home that there's a commonality in all paths, all approaches to truth, to wisdom. And having explored many and practiced intensely many, there's a delightful opportunity to share that commonality, that common essence. And in those one-on-one sessions, that again would be the underlying current. And the actual form of each session will vary. So with some people, it will be really setting up a, a... a, a transformational program, something to support them with in coming weeks that will facilitate the transformation. With others, it will just be dropping deep into a particular issue or challenge and finding the gift, finding the opportunity, finding that blind spot that it can take an outside per- uh, third party to provide perspective on. And mm-hmm. so those forms will vary, but ultimately it's all about delivering the insight, delivering the practical support to help people lead more awake nourishing and authentic lives fantastic and if you want to change your life like we said in the intro you have to change your mind first and um, no doubt you do a superb job in helping someone make those shifts so that they can have a more meaningful experience in life um, absolutely and it's always with a, a strong emphasis to empower you know, it's to equip people with the insight with the tools with the practices that actually allow them to step into their power I find working with people, everyone has untapped potential. Everyone has a wisdom that they often won't acknowledge. And yet through the process of inquiry, with gentle guidance and coaching, this this wisdom within us, our own heart center, our own inner guru, if you like, can be Uh accessed. So my, my work is always to support people to find that power within themselves. And often people will just have one session with me, and that actually gives them the insight, the breakthrough, on the particular challenge they've been facing, and they can then move on and work with that and perhaps come back and work with me in the future. Other clients I work with ongoing, but really it's tailoring that to the individual's needs. Okay, fantastic. On page 215 in the book, you have a quote by William James, which echoes um, what is said in the introduction and what we're talking about now. And that reads, The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes of mind. So let's talk briefly about the impact of our thoughts and beliefs on the perceived reality we experience individually and collectively, if you would. For sure. So I think first insight or first key understanding is to recognize that reality is never what we say it is. Reality is something apart from what we say it is. So we can say it's a table or a chair, but that's just a label. It's not actually a table or a chair. The table and the chair is a construct. We made it up. And this is true when we get that initial insight. This is true of all things. It's true of every experience in reality. Individually and collectively, we're dreaming the world into being through our individual and collective mind. So on an individual experience level, we can start to experiment with this and see this truth in our own experience. When we change particularly the fundamental beliefs about self or about the world, when we change those core beliefs, when we change the energetics, the feeling of our being, Form will naturally take shape around that. Form will naturally also change to reflect the adjustments on the inner level. Mm -hmm. 
And on page 15, you describe this as a creative process. It appears that it's from this one piece of marble that this mind-altering, life-changing book is sculpted, correct? Absolutely. There's definitely a, a central theme there to empower people. And there was a sense, as the diagnosis experience was unfolding, that what a perfect story this would make, what a perfect exemplar this would offer that it's not just the little stuff, but it's, it's the profound big challenges, such as a diagnosis of a life-threatening condition that can be experienced with an absence of stress or suffering, that can be experienced with joy, with curiosity, with fascination, if our perspective is correct. And by correct, I simply mean open to what is, and from that openness to what is, being willing to consciously craft a new story, being willing to consciously craft a future to live into. Mm -hmm. No matter the outcome. Absolutely. So there's the paradox. There's a surrender there as well. Mm -hmm. There's a trust to the process. There's a surrendering to the greater flow, to what Taoism calls the Tao, to what uh, we could call God's will, to um, different languaging and different traditions. But there is that surrendering of the ego structure, the surrendering of the individual self that thinks that it knows all, <laughs> that is attached mm -hmm. to being right, and surrendering to that flow, to this love that is God's will. And the paradox being simultaneous to that surrender, from that place of surrender, we can create. Having found ourselves in harmony with the one, with that which is, with God's will, from this place we can become as the sparks of infinity, as the sparks of consciousness, as the divine sparks we are, and right. create and enjoy the creative dance. Wow. And that's what's so fascinating about this, is you took something that would bring most of us to our knees, and instead of feeling sorry for yourself, you actually felt empowered, and then you demonstrated this, and then wrote about it. And I was absolutely inspired throughout the entire book, um, having been through my own challenges, and your attitude and, and your perspective is nothing short of remarkable. But let me go back in time for a moment. Tell us what life was before, what what your life was like before your diagnosis. Well, life was on the surface relatively successful. I had enjoyed a career in fundraising and owned my own company that was profitable and supported a very comfortable lifestyle. And Yet, at the same time, what I was doing was not my life purpose. It was certainly preparation for it. It was certainly very useful work, and I was grateful to be working in a field that contributed to humanity by raising many millions of dollars for charities. And yet, at the same time, I, I knew that my purpose, my function, my greatest gift is to work with individuals and to work with groups and facilitate the shifts in consciousness, the shifts in thought, the shifts in feeling, the healing, the transformation, and the awakening that is coming through us, that is emergent at this time on planet Earth. So on the one hand, life was good. Life was successful by relative measures, by societal measures. And yet also there was a, there was a recognition, a knowing inside me that there was something more that I was looking to contribute. And there was still areas of my consciousness where there was suffering. There were places of darkness and so on that still hadn't been healed and integrated into the light of awareness. So that was life pre-tumor. Sure. And then you were diagnosed in 2011. And, of course, your initial reaction is one of the more startling um, 
elements of the book. Describe briefly your initial reaction to the diagnosis. You had the, you got this diagnosis after experiencing a seizure? That's correct. And the experience of he- hearing the news that, as the doctor said, excuse me, the doctor said there was a lump in my head, my experience was one of complete peace. There was just an absence of any sense of worry or concern. There was intense fascination, you know, an extraordinary curiosity, like, wow, what interesting information to receive. But right from the get-go, there was a deep knowing that this was part of my journey. This was not a detour or an obstacle, but it was actually an integral part of the learning, the training. I think I describe it in the, at the back of the book as an initiation of sorts. And that recognition was there from the get-go. And, of course, pre- uh, approaching such a circumstance with a sense of opportunity, with a sense of it being a gift, allows us to actually then extract the opportunity and extract the gift. And for me, the opportunity was summed up really nicely by a quote that I read a few days before the diagnosis and and noted in my journal. That quote was, death is certain. It's timing uncertain. So what is important now? And that's been the gift for me, right? You can see the power of that quote to answer that question day to day, moment to moment, showing up as an answer. So it's not a verbal answer. It's a lived answer to what is yes. important now. Exactly, and and that is an interesting um, experience to read about because it was so synchronistic in that you found that quote, you know, several days before, felt a need to write it down, like you, and we were all we all might be familiar with that drive. Like for some reason, this is significant. I just don't understand why. And yes. a mere couple days later, you come home from this doctor's appointment, and and that's what's written at the bottom of the page of your journal and it all kind of came together but it didn't come crashing down that's the important thing to recognize it didn't come crashing down on you that death is certain it's just the timing is uncertain you it was more turned of a, it into a liberation exactly why don't you tell us about that feeling well there was a the initial experience of reading that quote as you say just after getting the news and knowing that I'd written that down a few days before and felt how pertinent, how important those words were, gave me a sense of the guidance that has always been available and, and noted more and more as form shows up in little synchronistic phenomena and so on. So the initial experience was one of gratitude to have that guidance. Mm-hmm. And it certainly gave a clarity of purpose to how to interact with the diagnosis from that point on. Mm-hmm. and how to respond, which you responded beautifully. Beautifully, And, of course, I take that message and, and your urge to write it down as a message from your higher self to prepare you energetically to receive this news so that you could respond the way you did. There are no accidents, of course, and this is what you came up with. You described the seven gifts. I had described the way the book's laid out. You begin with the seven gifts, and you describe your experience throughout this. Um, entire time pre and post diagnosis and you describe the seven gifts as love surrender, death, guidance purpose, co-creativity and oneness why don't we touch on each one of these in turn, okay? sure now with regard to love in chapter one you state love is a complete yes, total receptivity and openness, explain what you mean by that and why anyone would adopt such an attitude especially 
in the face of loss, pain, illness, or death? Because some might think that's a lot to ask for. It is a lot to ask for, and the and yet at once the reality of love for me is that it's not here that I'm speaking of an emotional state or a greeting card sentimentality. This love that I speak of is an essential element of reality, the essential element of reality, that deep in meditation, in the void, in the emptiness, we discover is a quality of experience. It's a quality of reality itself. And our job, uh, to, to, to quote Rumi, is not to seek this love, but simply to remove the obstacles, remove the defenses, remove all that we have built up to put us apart from that love. So knowing, realizing, even just holding the belief to begin with, that this love, we could call it God's love, is all there is and is available to us just as air is available to us all the time. We can hold our breath, but the air remains there available for us. Holding that thought in mind, we open to this love. We open to this love just as we breathe in this air. And, of course, it's precisely in those moments of great challenge, of great difficulty, of fear, that this love is most needed and is Mm -hmm. most powerful and is most transformative. So, for me, it's our receptivity, our opening, our keeping open, remaining open in the heart at these times of great challenge that allows the greatest gifts and that healing, soothing love to come into our experience. Mm-hmm. And so this brain tumor, this terrifying thing, just the words alone instill fear. So this brain tumor was the catalyst for a very deep connection to that love and self-realization, which is what allows you to be, quote, blessed with a brain tumor. It's not so much the tumor, but what it opened up for you in terms of self-realization, surrender, and purpose, which you described these were the greatest gifts of the experience. Tell us about those great gifts of surrender and purpose. So the surrender was a complete surrender to reality itself. We could also say a complete surrender to God, a complete surrender to life, a surrender to all as it was. And that included, as I thought at the time, perhaps my death in a short while. Who knows what sort of brain tumor it was in those early stages. So in that complete surrender, there was an opening to the truth of what I am that does not die, to that which is beyond the personal self, beyond the ego, the infinite and eternal true nature of our being. Now, as someone who was hungry for truth, had been on a path of inquiry and practice to discover and realize for myself the nature of reality, of course, this was an especially gratefully received insight and realization. That, of course, led to purpose. Quite naturally, from such a realization, from such a a profound blessing and gift, from such an act of grace, one is compelled and obliged in the best possible sense, to share this with others, to spread the good news, as it were, and to, in practical and easily accessible ways, facilitate similar realizations for others. Speaking of news, you have a quote on page 48 in the book, and it says, and it's by Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, and Mm. it says, the bad news is you're falling through the air with nothing to hang on to, no parachute. The good news is there is no ground. And I thought that was great, because when we talk about surrender, 
I know with my students and, you know, people who attend my talks, there's, I think the ego jumps in and tries to invert words to instill fear. And a lot of times we equate surrendering to life to sub- with submission, with the idea of having to submit to something larger than ourselves, which is very frightening. So I wanted to discuss the difference between acceptance and a fearful stance of don't overpower me. Could you talk a little bit about that? For sure. So the part of us that doesn't want to be overpowered, the part of us that is fearful that would hold on, is the very part of us that is required to surrender and inevitably will. That we might call the ego mind or the ego or the mind. It's a beautiful tool, it's a beautiful part of experience, but it's not what we are. And so whenever there's fear present, that's what's happening. We're living from, engaged from, living at that level of consciousness, at that state of consciousness. The surrender will be the letting go of that. And in the letting go of that, which we can observe in our experience, we can see ourself, we can see the Will Pie character going about his business with his thoughts and so on. And of course, we, if we can see that, are not that. If I can see something, I can't be it whilst also seeing it. So Mm -hmm. in the seeing of the self, in the seeing of the ego, in this case, as you described, perhaps with fearful thoughts or a resistance to surrender, there's a deepened awareness. And with time, we come to recognize that we are this awareness. We are this silent presence that is witnessing all unfold. And surrendering is an act of grace, we could say, often brought Mm -hmm. about by a bit of suffering or a challenging event by which we realize that for ourselves, by which we surrender the tension, surrender the desire to control and trust, kind of like, you know, those trusting exercises where someone stands behind you and you have to fall back. It's not too dissimilar from that energetically, right? It's that soulful surrender, trusting that love will hold us as we fall. Yeah, a trustful I've always believed, and, and I often say, it's a lot harder to hang on than it is to let go. And yeah. when we embrace a posture of surrender, imagine not so much your wrists together as though handcuffs were about to be placed on them, but rather it's opening tightly closed fists and being open to receive and then opening your arms really wide to receive. And then that, in turn, opens your heart. And then, like it says in the the subtitle of your book, that's when you realize it is all a gift, and you learn to receive through this trust. And on page 54, you go into what surrender is not. Tell us about what surrender is not in a little deeper detail. For sure. That was a beautiful image of the palms open, the arms wide open, receiving And certainly that would be the distinction, just to clarify that previous point you brought up of the distinction between submission and surrender. It's an incredibly powerful, empowered act to open up to reality in that way. And by aligning with that receptivity, by aligning with this allowing of the abundance of love that is all around us, we become exquisitely more powerful, infinitely more powerful than we are from that contracted sense. And speaking of the contracted sense, the the false self, we might say, the ego mind, this is what surrender is uh, is not, or this is where we might think about what surrender is not. And I would use the term negotiated surrender. 
So, for example, if a challenging circumstance presents, or it might be an uncomfortable emotion, and I have the approach that I'll, uh, I'll surrender to this in order to get it to go away, or I'll embrace this such that it will change, then mm. what's happening there is the ego is seeking to negotiate. And it's precisely the lack of, or the, the, the letting go of, the releasing of that hanging on, just in this moment, in this holy instant, that mm-hmm. actually allows the surrender to occur. So what it's not is when it's a tool that the ego uses to negotiate. And manipulate. Beautiful. Exactly. Yes. I was in a similar situation when I was 21 years old. I was diagnosed with a, uh, a cyst that was wrapped around my thyroid gland. I really negotiated in that in that doctor's appointment, and it, and it wasn't just the, the throat situation. In in, I'd say a minute or less, he identified so many problems that it resulted in five surgeries over the course of two years. Sure. But it was especially jarring for me because I was a professional singer, and now you're telling me that my worst nightmare has manifested because you need to put a scalpel to my throat and dig into my sure. instrument to get this out. But what I found, and I and I like that you appreciate the analogy I mean with the open hands and the open arms, but the truth is I had to learn that the hard way. Sure. And I had to submit to the reality that in order to fix this problem, I would have to depend on an external source, as you talk about in the book. You now have to dis- depend on an external um, remedy in the form of a surgeon to resolve this issue, and in that journey, I had to first make peace with God. God did not do that to me, and then I had to forgive my throat for betraying me, you know? So did you go through feelings that your brain had betrayed you, like I felt with my throat and had to work through that, or was it really this encapsulated, remarkable place of peace that, okay, I can deal with this? It was more the latter. It was more... uh sense of peace around that and certainly there was no um, uh, judgment towards my brain or towards that because the sense of opportunity and the sense of it being part of the path and the journey was so present and it's interesting that you mentioned the surrender to or relying on the external help with the surgeon and yet quickly also you point to the fact that you had to make peace with God so you had to do the internal work. It was the change of mind that was yes. primary to that process. And so it might be that we use external uh, items, diet or surgery or whatever it might be, and yet always primary in this process of healing, of integration, of awakening, is the mind, the, the inner work, the consciousness. And it's taking responsibility for our consciousness that whatever external course of action we choose to take is primary to the spiritual path and the path of awakening. Mm. On page 56, you, you say, to surrender is a choice. Quote, I harmonize, quote, my being with whatever is, rather than follow resistant thoughts. You go on to say, another reaction to the idea of surrender is to claim that we are endorsing aspects of life that our hearts suggest are intolerable. There are a lot of circumstances that many people feel are intolerable. And I think whether it's in terms of um, a major diagnosis or tragic news or simply the frustration that comes from 
the universe not bending its will to your preferences. Many people can become steeped in bitterness and depression. And a lot of times this leads one to suicidal thoughts, which are not, of course, normal, but they are common. And I do try to address this often on the show, knowing what my thoughts have been like in my 47 years, and that this is, I feel, a trick of the ego. And, of course, you understand because you are a student of the Course, but I want let's talk about suicidal thoughts and share your feelings about this and how your book speaks about it. So I would suggest that worthlessness, guilt, shame, self-loathing, I am not enoughness, is in fact something that everyone listening, everyone on this planet has experienced. All that varies in my work with people is the degree to which we have become conscious of this aspect of self, of this aspect of the ego mind. And so certainly I would see it as a functional, a dysfunctional functioning of the process of awakening. When we note this part of self that hates itself, when we note suicidal thoughts, we're at a point of potential profound breakthrough. Because, of course, if we can be present to that and restore our mind to the Christ presence that we are, to the awareness that we are, if we can invite the Holy Spirit in a coarse terms in to correct our perception in that moment, we might simply invite the correction of love in that moment, then profound healing can occur. So I would first point to that common experience. So really, it's, it's, it's just so prevalent. When I work with groups, everyone relates to this feeling, this feeling of not enoughness, this worthlessness yeah. and so on. And as you point to, the acute expressions can be suicidal thoughts, the desire to end this life. And yet what's really seeking to end there, what we really want to end is the suffering. It's mm-hmm. the experience of being a contracted self, the belief that we are this narrow identity. And very often we find that individuals who have awakened to the vastness of their true nature is they went through some process along those lines, which is not to glorify it, but simply to acknowledge that suicidal thoughts, worthlessness, deep depression, despair, are very often integral parts of the process of awakening. And as ever, it's how we choose to work with that, how we respond. Are we Mm -hmm. victims of such thoughts, or do we utilize the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to correct that perception and allow the receptivity of love into that part of ourselves, into that wound, into that confusion. Beautifully said. Because it is said that pain is a direct pathway to God. And while it might seem to some contradictory that we're saying that surrender is the way to the glory of recognizing who you really are, but it really is empowering in the sense that in all the the points you just made, surrender is empowerment of self, and giving up is self-defeating. I think, in my experience, we can use giving up to our advantage where use it as a barometer to determine, are you tired of struggling? Are you tired of resisting something and it continues to happen because what we resist persists? 
are you done yet? Are you ready to let go and open your hands? And in that giving up, where people throw their hands up in the air, I'll take it if that's all you have to offer. But throw those hands up in the air and say, you know what, I give up. Not in a sense of I want to end this and a total attack on the self in which you do end this life prematurely. But just that, okay, I'm ready to stop struggling. Help me, guide me, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. There's the giving up of the struggle, of the suffering, of right. the small self, of the false self, and an invitation. Uh, you know, help me out here, God. Help me out here, life. An invitation, an opening of the heart. And mm-hmm. life responds to that opening. It responds to that clink, that chink in the armor of the ego. Gosh. The light can shine in when we're often you mentioned arms wide open for me it's been on on my knees you know <laughs> help sure. me out here i'm not yes. i'm not handling this so well help me out here and the help is available it's always present and it yes. takes our invitation only to bring it in and they jump right in the minute you say but because they will not here's my experience i had said to you know i'm very um intuitive and i've said to my guides um who take who are various entities but I've said, for all the years that I cried, please take this pain away, why didn't you? And the answer I got was, because I am not a thief. So it's important to make the statement that when we want to let go of something, do not beg that it be taken from you. You have to offer it willingly, with an open heart, to surrender the entire experience, all the thoughts and emotions that accompany it, with forgiveness for everyone involved, especially yourself for having perceived it in a way that was not conducive to peace and joy. And on page 62, if you don't mind, there are several paragraphs that were so profound, I'd like to share them with the audience. Is that okay? Please. Okay. This is in the the section entitled, Surrender in Action, quote, I am yours. In seeking God, enlightenment, or truth, we are seeking to remember our very own source, to become intimate once again with a nirvanic emptiness, the heavenly realms that we are. Whether you understand this to be oneness, God, consciousness, Gaia, emptiness, samadhi, the self, or your alter ego, Steve, is not important, as public debate would suggest. It is important to understand that this matter has nothing to do with believing in God or dogma or hypotheses. This is a hyper-rational and empirical inquiry, We are interested here, as grandiose as it might sound, in God-realization rather than mere proselytizing. I hope that, as I share how this often very silly willy full of inestimable ignorance and the like can experience this apparently lofty realization, you will be heartened to ever more fully discover the divinity within you. Even as the glimpses of ultimate reality broaden into stunningly delusion-shattering rays of truth, and there is only oneness for protracted periods, beliefs and self-images typically still linger or re-emerge. I have found intimate relationships to be a most wonderful means of exposing where shadows or forgetting remains. We learn to welcome these apparent regressions, too, as we realize that, quote, everything that happens is gently planned by one whose only purpose is your good, which is taken from A Course in Miracles. Beautiful. That was so deep. I had to sit with it. I just, I just, in a, most of, throughout your book, I have been overcome with a feeling of warmth and that self-realization that you're talking about. 
it was beautiful hearing uh, you read that shot. That was oh. uh, that was wonderful. Mm. There's so much. I mean, there, you go on to say, from here it is the sense of being me rather than any concept of enlightenment that is most exquisitely run, wondrous. And then the vast emptiness which resulted from surrendering to my death had given way to a resumption of the I am Will Pie game, in which for moments at a time, this ephemeral personality was convinced of its ultimate reality. Observing behaviors and attitudes which, based on experience, were likely to lead away from the experience of love, truth, and God, I found myself crying out in earnest, I am yours. Beautiful stuff! I, I, can't, I can't rave about this enough. What would you it, like to add? To that. Just to say that it really points to that to and fro. You know, we like to imagine that enlightenment or God realization or awakening is a one-shot deal, that we have the magic experience and uh, suffering is complete forever, and we just reside in a sort of permanent blissful state. And yet that's not been my experience, and it's not been the experience of any teachers that I hang out with or speak with or have studied. There is this integration process. There is this toing and froing, re-emerging of old patterns, old thought systems that again need to be forgiven, that need to be surrendered, that are there as part of the process. And as we go through that process enough, we come to see that no part of the experience is out of place. Nothing was a detour on the path, though it may have seemed so at the time, but it's all awakening happening, or to put it playfully, it's all God tickling itself, and, and that's you. <laughs> it's us. Yes. Awakening is moving through us. That's God's will, we could say, or that's the movement of consciousness. And mm -hmm. we're swept up along with it. As much as it seems like there's uh, errors that can be made, it's omnidirectional, this process. Uh, our enlightenment, our awakening, our coming home is inevitable. Indeed, in a sense, beyond time, it's already happened. With this thought held in mind, we can approach experiences in life, the challenges, with that open heart, with that trusting spirit, knowing uh -huh. that there's gift here, that this is part of the process. Oh. In Chapter 3, you describe death as a gift. Tell us what you mean by the gift of death. So for me, death has been by far and away the most precise teacher that I've worked with. So on the one hand, in realization, in awakening, it's seen that we don't die. It's recognized that this being that I am, this presence that I am, is eternal. It is infinite. And yet the experience of death within the human realm clearly still happens. And the experience of death, or at least the idea of death, is massively functional. Because imagine right now, if you will, Charlotte, that you and I knew that this was highly likely to be the last conversation would ever have. If one of mm -hmm. us knew that we were going to pass tomorrow or in a week, it brings the sacred nature of this and every moment into light. It allows us to see how precious this awareness, this being human is, and naturally leads to a heightened compassion, love, and gratitude for simply mm -hmm. being itself, for this remarkable experience of being human. Mm. And I love two points I want to make. I love how you say in the book, don't wait to do your deathbed stuff. Get that done now. And I agree, because that will heighten that awareness and deepen that compassion and make each moment that much more valuable. But I also love, you're, you're a bit of a wordsmith, and you created certain phrases in the book 
one of which is functional fear as opposed to dysfunctional fear of the ego. But functional fear you describe as our reaction to danger. But tell us a little bit about the, the two fears, functional and dysfunctional. So functional would be if I'm walking across the street and a bus moves towards me at a fast speed, then I'm shot through with fear, cortisol pulses through my being, and adrenaline happens, and I'm jumping out of the way like a tiger. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. functional fear, or it could be that I move into an environment with a threatening character, and there's a, a fearful sense in my heart, so I know to move away from that individual. That would be functional. Dysfunctional would be the low-grade fear of something bad happening, the fight-or-flight response in our physiology gone wrong, as we don't live in those times anymore. So that dysfunctional fear would be a low-grade underlying fear of something bad happening, a a fear of not enoughness. So when we get to the root of it, this fear requires our exploration, our inquiry, to understand Mm -hmm. what what is this fear really about. And in so doing, we we get to the root of it. We discover that it's a, a functioning of ego, that has Mm -hmm. put faith, put trust in something other than God's love, that has put faith and trust in something other than abundance and joy and peace and happiness. And that's, of course, one of the ways that the ego mind sustains itself is to utilize that experience of fear. If there's that dysfunctional fear present, we can be sure that we're in ego mind at that moment, and it's an invitation again to surrender that to ask for that correction by the Holy Spirit, to allow Mm -hmm. this mind to see clearly, to see as love sees. And that is his function, the holy instant. All you have to do is ask, and it will happen. Um, There's so much stuff. I I, I could talk to you for a week about this, honestly. (laughs) Amazing. Um, I wanted to touch on, with regard to that dysfunctional fear, it goes back to what we were saying about not enoughness. Um, yes. I'll never reach my, you know, live my purpose. I, I don't have a purpose. All this negative self-talk that keeps you stuck in an endless loop of dissatisfaction. But yes. overcoming that dysfunctional fear of being abandoned or being rejected or criticized or failing, or worse yet, another dysfunctional fear, the fear of success. Because what we fear most is our potential, not our failings, you know. So it's a very excellent point that you make in the book, the contrast between the functional and the dysfunctional fears and all the wonderful words that embrace those terms. Let's uh, move on to the gift of guidance, which is always one of my favorite topics. And you, you talk a lot about synchronicity, so let's dig into that, if you would. Sure. For sure. So... Throughout my life experience, certainly um, the beginning of the spiritual path of of inquiry was really catalyzed, launched by powerful synchronistic phenomena. This term synchronicity that Jung coined, uh, Carl Jung, the the psychotherapist, pointing Mm -hmm. to the way that form will show up in two events that are a-causal, so one could not have caused the other. And yet in our experience, there's meaning between the two. Connection is made between the two. So it's a way that the unseen can present itself in form in the physical world to guide us along the way, to remind us that there is this unseen force, that there is guidance available and give clues to our conscious mind as to whether we're on the right path or we may need to consider 
And for me, the more we are on the right path, as it were, knowing that in truth we're always on the right path, but the more we're moving in alignment with our own soul's purpose, the more we're present to the deeper truth in the moment, the more these synchronicities are presented, the more magical they become, the more intricate they become, and it becomes clear that we're kind of being done rather than doing. It becomes clear that there's an intelligence moving through us, whether we call that our higher self or our soul or awareness itself. Mm-hmm. And that guidance, like anything, is more available the more we invite it in. It's more noticeable the more we are willing to notice it, to mm-hmm. recognize that there is an intelligence there that shows up and points us in certain directions at key times in our life especially. It's a part of my daily life. In fact, mm. uh, I want to take the opportunity to mention, I, I tell my students that I, I think it's important because intention is important. And like you said, when you're more willing to receive those um, clues and forms of guidance, in the myriad of forms that they can take, whether it's someone, a stranger, saying something to you that you needed to hear at exactly that moment. Um, traffic patterns are huge with me. Uh, signs from nature. Uh, I could be sitting there, sitting on my back patio thinking about peace and a dove lands at my feet. All of these sure. things, because we're all interconnected, we are all one, and we are totally connected with the universe, it uses these things to support and encourage or warn, as the case may be. And I don't know if you know a lot about the show, Will, but I do dream interpretation segments. But it's not limited to the interpretation of symbols that we see in our dreams. I also extend an invitation for someone to call in with something weird that happened in waking life to get an interpretation of what that is reflecting in their consciousness. And it was interesting, as I read this chapter, you bring up owls. And uh, several weeks ago, I had a segment where a woman called about a dream that was about one thing, and then a woman called in and said that her son, the previous day, saw a white owl. So I went into the symbology. Of course, I have to ask clarifying questions of, was he driving? Was it on the right or on the left? Because everything translates to something with regard to the past or the future. And I started talking about it had to do about work, and he needed to take a 360-degree look at his life, pick a new direction, um, and pick what would make him really happy, experience his joy so that he could live his purpose. And afterwards, she explained how he had um, gotten out of his job and then put himself in school to start a whole new life. So it was perfect. The weird part came in before I went to sign off on on the air, The first caller was still listening, and I said, I need to get her back on. I don't know why, but I'm going to bring her back on. So I did, and I said, Kimberly, what did you think of that, dear? And she said, oh, my God, it feels like this entire segment is all about me. And I said, why? And she said, because yesterday I went into a store. I have a new apartment, and I went into a store, and there was an object that I saw, and it wouldn't leave me alone. It was like a gravitational pull towards it, and I bought it, and I had to bring it home. I said, what was it? She said it was a white owl. <laughs> and then I read your, your chapter, and you're talking about owls. And I thought all of those experiences were really um, very cool. And it's funny how owl has become part of my life in the past month or so. But yeah. I love the, the synchronistic events are so telling in our lives. And if we could just build that muscle of asking, looking, 
and recognizing. Life becomes so much less complex and becomes fun because it is a fun yeah. process. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. That play and ease would definitely be gifts of opening up to this guidance, you know, not such a mm-hmm. struggle, most not so alone, but dancing with the universe, dancing with life. Exactly, and and that's important that you said, and not feeling so alone, which we can often feel. Well, yes. moving on to uh, this is this chapter blew me away. The gift of purpose. Mm-mm-mm. May I read something from page one hundred two? Please. You say we are each here for a special function, a particular expression of our gifts and passions. Our weaknesses and frailties are a necessary part of the alchemy of being by which we must, we come to most fully express this purpose. And that is to say, we all have a purpose. And maybe it may seem mundane to someone in their own mind. It doesn't mean being famous or, you know, creating an, a global organization to, you know, stamp out hunger. Talk to us about purpose, and you go on to describe a common essence in everyone's purpose, no matter what form that takes. Talk about that, if you would. So for me, the the common essence would be coming into alignment with our own being, so really getting familiar and comfortable with who we really are. And so the ultimate purpose, we could say, is to self-actualize as that looks for each of us and to come into contact with, with who we really are. And that's, of course, beyond the facades, beyond the defenses, beyond the structures that we put up, the self images that we put out to the world, but really getting in contact with who we really are, what we Mm -hmm. deeply care about, what's deeply important to us. And the more we are in remembrance of who we are, the more we are aligned with our true being, with our soul, we could say, with our higher self, Mm -hmm. the more naturally our outer form, the function of our lives, the deeper purpose will come to expression and will come into form yeah, proportionally, quickly, to how fully and consistently we are aligned with our true self, with who we really are. Absolutely. It becomes completely effortless. You may have to yes. put some time and energy into something, like doing the groundwork of yes. starting something, but it, in, when it, when you really are in alignment, that tedious, the tediousness of laying the groundwork of something you would like to do in this world in, in service to others, it happens so naturally and effortlessly that there is no tedious. It's all joy mm-hmm. and miracle and things falling into your lap. At the minute you say, I need this, within, in my experience, within days or at the very most three weeks, there's threes associated with me, I can say, you know, Father, I need this, or Jesus, can you send someone to assist me? And three days, three weeks, I have what I need. It happens sure. every time. It's just amazing. But I know a lot of the listeners are probably thinking, well, how do I know what my purpose is? And you offer some advice to that effect. May I read that part? Please, yeah. And this is from The Purpose of My Life on page 109. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a daunting read. Uh, Even with the list of recommended reading, Will gets this done in 266 pages. You will want to use this as a manual to refer to probably for the rest of your life. But when you get it, you probably won't need the book anymore, as is the case in most things, right, Will? Yes, indeed. Okay. And it says on page 109, with regard to our life purposes, 
Let it be clear, living our life's purpose once we have hacked through the thickets of our fear and procrastination is fun and need not involve struggle. The more we allow ourselves to be consumed in our purpose, the more effortless it becomes. When we begin to live our life's purpose, our burning love overcomes our fears and dissolves our cynicism. If you are searching for your purpose, remember you already have it. It's inside you now. Become still and listen. Allow it to be heard. Fret not at what form it will take. Astronaut, beekeeper, president, or conscientious parent, or all four. As you identify the guiding principles, the being of it, and committed to living it, you will be guided step by step. Perfect. But get the book so that he can open your mind even further to the idea of embracing your purpose and really living a life of joy. You and I will have the blessed opportunity to be living our purposes right now in our lives and helping and sharing others. And I, I would not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do anything else in my life, really. Sure, sure, same. Moving on, you go, you talk about co-creativity in the second to last chapter. What would you like to say on that subject? Simply to recognize that we are creative beings, that creativity is not something that some people have and some people don't. It's a quality of the human being to create, whether that be to create a piece of art, to create a family, to create a home, to create a company, to create some dream. It's an inherent quality of being human. And the co-creativity, of course, points to creating in alignment with life itself, in alignment with a higher purpose, in alignment Mm. with an awareness of what the highest good is, rather than perhaps just looking to co-create a million pounds or a million dollars. That may not be actually what really serves us, what really floats our boat or turns us on. So the co-creativity is simply to recognize that we are creative beings and that our most powerful creations come when we're aligned with life itself, when we're aligned with that which is. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. So much to think about. In the last chapter of part one of the book, chapter seven, The Gift of Oneness, to hmm. what wonderful developments has the experience of making peace with your own death led to? Well, it was in that surrendering to my own death, really embracing the idea of nothingness that an experience of prolonged non-dual consciousness arose in which the unitive nature of my being was very clear. The apparent experience of inner and outer was shown to be just a fabrication, a construct of mind. But in Mm -hmm. fact, there was just this one awareness experiencing itself as Will Pye and as the table or the other person simultaneously. And yet what is really true is this, this awareness, this presence, and it is all that is. So that was really that that experience, which we can call oneness or or unity. Uh, Non-dual consciousness is a common term used in many circles as well, was Mm. the greatest blessing, the greatest gift of the uh, of the of the of life post-diagnosis and you know, it was something that had been tasted before, and yet here it was as a, a prolonged abiding experience, and integrating that insight into my day-to-day living is, is, is my work, as it were, as, as life goes mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And what is grace for you, Will? 
graces, I'll, I'll bow to St. John of the Cross, the great Christian mystic. He uh, is quoted as asking God what is grace, and God replied, everything that happens. And so for me, this really aligns with radical gratitude, a teaching or a, a pointer which has emerged from my experience. I, I mentioned I offer these radical gratitude play shops. The next book will be called Radical Gratitude, pointing to the fact that this love, this truth, this meaning, this purpose is inherent at all times and in all things. There is nothing that is not spirit. There is nothing that is not God. There is nothing that is not consciousness. And realizing this, we realize that everything is grace. Mm. Nothing can exist outside of God. Mm. Mm. And how might listeners utilize this in their lives? You just said that the next book will be Radical Gratitude. What else can they do? Well, there are other ways to connect with Radical Gratitude. There's a a Facebook group called Radical Gratitude. There's also a page called Radical Gratitude. People are welcome to connect with me, will.py, on Facebook. And explore some of the services that I offer with the coaching work, with the one-on-one work, with the play shops and so on. And, of course, I hope that the book, through the reading and working with the exercises, will in itself be a transformative experience and ultimately serve its original intention, which was to deliver some of the gifts and transformative power of a life-threatening diagnosis, deliver that wake-up call to individuals Mm -hmm. without the inconvenience of actually having a life-threatening condition. Yes, very inconvenient, this. <laughs> we don't wait for the brain tumor, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. <laughs> don't manifest it by wrestling with things in your head. This is this, Things that grow inside our bodies are a culmination of layers of thought and belief. So we need to get a handle on the body because it is a reflection of the mind. So now let's talk about part two. And if you would, please describe the benefits of completing the exercises at the end of each chapter. Do you recommend, like, with A Course in Miracles, spending extended time if one feels drawn to a particular chapter? Yeah, absolutely. So follow guidance and intuition, of course, with each section there. And the idea of those ending, what ends each chapter, the exercises, of course, to facilitate the insight and to actually allow what is being realized conceptually to be integrated into uh, into a clearer seeing and into one's day-to-day living. Mm Mm-hmm. You also state that one should be very gentle and kind with themselves. This is extremely important. Can you tell us? So for, for me, this is a, a, a central paradox or, or key element of the awakening journey or the personal development process is we can get involved in transformation and be so committed to becoming our highest expression, our most authentic self, which is beautiful. And yet it's important to do so with a recognition that simultaneously we're perfect right now. We're whole and complete as we are. So we are perfect and yet becoming even more so. It's contradictory to the mind. It's paradoxical. But this perfection of being right now and the nature of becoming, of growing, of evolving is certainly a divine quality that's present in the human experience. So as we move along, being kind to ourselves, loving ourselves, forgiving our errors and so on is an important part of really evolving and growing and transforming in the most healthy way. Absolutely. Speaking of health, as a result of this experience, you are extremely focused on physical health, of course, emotional, but also uh, gaining balance. And one of... um, you devote some time on the importance 
of meditation and hydration. Um, I, I would like you to share your thoughts on those two things, the meditation and hydration, and how important they are to having balance in mind and body. For sure. So in all my explorations into various diets, nutritional studies, practices of many, many, many ilks, the two things that I would recommend to most people, if not all, would be to drink plenty of good, clean water. To drink that at the start of the day, 8 a.m., science tells us is a great time for the body to absorb. To really have a, a couple of glasses of water, perhaps with lemon, something to alkalize the body. And to treat the body with that purifying water. Be grateful for the water as we drink it. Allow it to be a cleansing, healing process in itself. Mm-hmm. If we're feeling lethargic towards the end of the day, it's likely that we're suffering from dehydration. It might be we want to cut down on the coffee or the sugary drinks or the alcohol and ensure that we've got that fluid allowing the body to be hydrated and fresh and uh, cleansing ourselves, cleansing the body of impurities and so on. The meditation could be seen as a similar function to the water but for awareness, for the mind, to be allowing whatever impurities are present to come up into awareness and be released through the light of awareness. And for me, awareness, or meditation rather, simply is being aware. So we might utilize a practice or a technique, and yet what it comes down to is simply a day-to-day, lifelong meditation, which is to be present to be aware right now of what is happening, not storying about what is happening, not trying to get to an imagined future or reorder an imagined past, but actually being present here and now, resting in being, resting in the divinity of our being. Well said. My goodness. Yes, and if you're new to the show, if you're listening uh, to the recording, we what we do here, uh, Will, is I teach metaphysics and lots of stuff and techniques. One of those techniques I want to um, touch on soon, in which you just brought up, I tell people they can charge water with an emotion. So if you're feeling down, sure. hold the glass in your hand, charge it with love, and then drink it. Sure. The power of intention and thought it can be experienced certainly in this way. Every moment is a creative moment in a sense and the the power of the mind can can be experienced so simply to bless the water or be grateful for the water's purifying qualities mm-hmm. is uh, an interaction with form it, it, it uh, it's a powerful practice for sure very effective yes and i've done two two sessions so far on spiritual cleansing with a dear friend of mine but i was really intrigued with this um meditation that you talked about what is the eyes open zazen practice did i pronounce that right no, not quite. That would be zazen, which is zazen. Simply, okay. Yeah, and zazen can be eyes closed as well. But eyes open is the form of meditation that I was taught by my Zen teacher, and the idea of it is simply to be fully present to life. So there are meditations where we can go off into other realms and have altered states of consciousness and mystical experiences and so on, which have their place and value. Zazen eyes open would point to facing reality as it is. And that's why the eyes are open, of course. So we develop this meditative capacity to be aware with whatever's arising. Simply that, to be aware and fully present with whatever's arising. It sounds like a very interesting technique. I'd like to try that. I also Mm -hmm. love your reference to 
this is one of my favorites. You know, listen to everyone, but follow no one, because I believe in the same thing. I've been gathering information since I was a child, literally, from mm. gurus to teachers to authors and scholars. So the suggested reading you include in the back of the book is terrific. And yes. it's um, unbelievable. Like, a lot of these I have, a lot of these I don't. So this is something I want to, I don't want to forget this is here, and eventually I can cultivate uh, more of these titles into my personal library. And I think sure. the listeners should make Blessed with a Brain Tumor a very welcome addition to your personal spiritual library. So what's on the horizon for you, Will? What, what do you have coming? Well, in the very short term, some more events in L.A., and beyond that, it's the next book, and it's de it's deepening and growing. Every Radical Gratitude play shop that happens is a an evolved expression. Every one that occurs, there is new stuff coming through. There are new insights. There are new tools, new ways of expressing, new ways of facilitating and integrating this information. So my life is pretty clear from here on in. It's to continue to do the work that I'm doing, facilitating healing, transformation, and awakening, and finding ever more effective and fun ways to allow that to happen. That will certainly, for me, include writing. It will include um, building community and working with a lot of existing awakening communities around the world. There's a number of projects I'm involved with on that front that are to be launched in the coming weeks. One is Ripe and Ready, a wonderful community which has just recently been launched, a, a, a thriving media organization providing playful, profound, and practical transformational content for the digital generations especially. And mm. that would be one example of, of many emergent communities, platforms to share this message and support people to, leave, to, to lead lives of great joy and authenticity. Mm. Well, it's an honor for me to support you in any way I can. And... I just thank you so much for writing this book and using your experience to ex inspire others. It truly is inspiring. Well, I greatly appreciate your support, and I appreciate the wonderful station that you've created here with Spiritual oh. Insights, Charlotte, and it's an honor to be on here today, and I, I, I thank you for facilitating this. Oh, thank you so much. That feels good to hear. But I, I'm, I'm promising I, I will support you in any way I can, but we're going to have to get you a house here in the United States so you can come back often. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to being back. Australia. You don't need to live there. You need to come here. We need you. A lot of people have been saying this to me. They're saying, when are you going to move to the U.S.? When are you well, moving here? Certainly, I'll be back in spring. There's, there is a plan to be back in the U.S. soon. Um, so I'm heading off in November. I'll enjoy the summer in Australia, which is a beautiful time, and connecting with my community there. And then I'm looking forward to being back in the U.S., and there'll be more events uh, all, all around the country. A lot of oh. the events that have happened this time have led to uh, even more exciting invitations for the next trip. So I look forward to being back with my American friends in, in the new year. Excellent. I, and I got the chills the whole time you were saying that for the next event in the spring, and it's going to be huge. I can feel it. Yeah. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Will is making a very special offer. Go to either one of two websites, willpie.com, last name is spelled P-Y-E, or blessedwithabraintumor.com to buy the book, watch some videos, read the blogs, learn about when his new book is coming out, and also get in on these retreats and workshops and play shops. Also, very important, receive a free gift of the first chapter of Blessed with a Brain Tumor 
at these websites. It's fantastic. Connect with Will on social media. His personal page is Will.Pi. His Facebook page is Radical Gratitude. On Twitter, Total Gratitude. On YouTube, Total Gratitude. If you have read the book, please take the time out to post a review on Amazon. It is most helpful to uh, Will, and, and I really believe in his message. He's got several events in the California area. Go to the website if you've forgotten where he'll be. And don't forget, he also does one-on-one sessions. So if you are in need of upliftment or guidance, count on Will to get you through it. Thank you so much, Will, and do let me know anything new coming up so that I can put the word out for you, okay? I will do. Thank you so much for your time today, Charlotte. You're quite welcome. Thank you as well. All right, everybody. That's our show for today. The wonderful Will Pye. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.